0: Step into the hidden corridors of the past with Hometown History, where every episode uncovers the untold stories and secrets nestled in the streets and alleys of our own backyards. We bring history to life, revealing the extraordinary and the ordinary from local legends to forgotten tales that shape the communities we know today. Tune into Hometown History and embark on a journey through time, right from where you are. Soundsington Media!
1: Step. 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 Squish. 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 Buzz. Flicker. Blink. You are walking in the corridor of an office building. You can see low ceilings, fluorescent lights, and the most grating yellow wallpaper somehow both too dull and too busy at the same time. The carpet mashes beneath your sneakers, damp and mildewy. The hallway stretches before you, shrinking to a point in the distance. It could end there, or it could be endless. Step, step, step. You pass through rooms and rooms of cubicles, Every offshoot leading to another hallway, leading to another room, again and again. Step, step, step. You are walking faster now. Minutes go by, and then hours, or at least you think it's been hours. Your phone stopped working. All of this looks the same. But you have to be getting somewhere, right? Your heart rate quickens as the thought occurs to you. What if this is all the same? What if you're not making any progress? What if you never get out? I'm Elise Parisian, and today we're going to explore that terrifying feeling of getting lost, and one phenomenon that captures this feeling best, the backrooms, on this episode of Unspookable.
2: I think the idea of being lost or in a maze is so scary because you don't know your way out. You don't know when you'll get out. You don't know how long you've been in there. You don't know how you're sur- you're going to survive because you have nothing with you, probably in this case. And you just you really don't know anything.
0: I think being lost or in a maze is so scary because it's so if it's an unfamiliar place it's just so easy to get lost and especially when you're younger you always hear things like oh don't go too far from your parents like just you can't especially like in stores or like when people like describe black friday it could either be a super like filled place or a completely empty place if it really just if it's unfamiliar you don't know your way out Have you ever had a
1: moment where you're walking somewhere? Maybe even somewhere familiar, like a street or a park or a building you know, but then you look up and go, wait, where am I? Maybe you were looking at your screen or talking to someone, or maybe you kind of straggled behind everyone you were with. And then all of a sudden, it's like your brain catches up to your feet and you're confused. It's like you were in a different space in your head and then when you actually connect with real space, you have to reorient. In this split second, it's almost like you're lost. Even if it only takes a moment to reorient yourself. Being lost can be a gut-wrenching feeling. As soon as we are born, our brains begin to try and make sense of space. Have you ever seen a very little baby reaching out their arms and legs, kicking and waving? The sensations that we take for granted, the feeling of our body parts in space, and how they work together, those are sensations babies are just getting to know. Their brains are testing out what having a physical body is like. As the brain continues to develop, some of our understanding of the world as a physical space becomes rooted in a part of the brain called the hippocampus, deep in the central, lower part of the brain. Towards the brainstem. Neuroscientists believe that this part contains groups of neurons called place cells, which anchor to different landmarks and make cognitive maps, or ways for us to remember different places and not get lost. Think of a place you know very well. Can you imagine lots of details of it? Now, zoom out a little bit. Is that place on a street or a road? What if you zoom out a little more? As you are recalling these details, individual neurons are going off that are helping you remember and see them. Just as they would if you were walking near this place and trying to get to it. But what about when you end up somewhere your brain doesn't have a map for? Where there are no landmarks. Or even worse, where all the landmarks are endlessly the same. Perhaps it's that sameness that leads humans to be so afraid of getting lost in the woods in particular. Picture tall, thick trees, stretching out in all directions. Would you know your way through them? Many a fairy tale and fable reveal what happens just off the beaten path, past the route that we know and into the dense, dark woods. Think of Hansel and Gretel who found a witch's house deep in the forest. Enticing the children with candy, she lured them in to try and eat them. Or Little Red Riding Hood, who dawdles on the way to her grandmother's cottage and speaks to a stranger against her mother's wishes. That stranger is a wolf who almost eats Little Red until a woodcutter comes along and saves her. In Western cultures, on lands where people live near or among big forests, these stories are common warnings. The woods are dark and full of terrors. Do not wander off and get lost, or you will end up a meal. But what about when we seek out that feeling of being lost on purpose? What about when we imagine whole worlds that are all about getting lost? We'll see what
0: we can dream up after this. Where I got introduced to the backrooms rooms was um, probably on YouTube or TikTok and um, just a lot of, like, rooms. And some people even call them just levels, where it's basically just more life simulation and makes it feel like You have to escape those rooms and there could be monsters in those rooms. And I think the most popular one is one that looks like an empty store and it's just yellow fluorescent lighting.
2: When I think of back rooms, I merely think of like, from tiktok or roblox or youtube like there's just this big maze and you're being chased and you feel like you have to get out and there are these different levels that you have to complete and nobody knows how many levels there are there's probably up to a million because people record up to there being one to like like 450 levels and there could still be more that we don't know of because we don't even know if they're real Have you
1: ever tried to find your way through a corn maze at a fall festival? Or a hall of mirrors at a carnival? A labyrinth built of hedges? What did it feel like to try and get out? Adventurers at the Laberinto della Masone, or the Masone Labyrinth in the town of Fontanellato, Italy, may be trying to get out for a while. Created entirely of living bamboo, this maze covers over 17 acres and the path through is almost two miles long. The creator, Franco Ricci, wrote a book called Labyrinths, The Art of the Maze. In the preface, Umberto Eco writes, "'For tens of thousands of years, "'human beings have been fascinated by something "'that somehow spoke to them of the human "'or cosmic condition. "'There are endless situations "'in which it is easy to enter but hard to exit. And at the first attempt, it seems hard to think of situations where it is difficult to enter, but easy to exit. The Masonic Labyrinth is surpassed only by the Yenchang Dafong Dream Maze in Yenchang, Jiangsu, China, which clocks in at an incredible 383,160 square feet. From the air, you can see a large portion of this hedge maze is the shape of an elk, with gardens, playgrounds, and water features spread all throughout it. Funnily enough, though we often use the words labyrinth and maze interchangeably, the two are actually slightly different. While mazes can frequently have many paths that will lead to the exit, a labyrinth has only one path to its center. Puzzle enthusiasts refer to this difference as multicursal, or many paths, versus unicursal, or one path. The word labyrinth comes from a Greek myth. The architect Daedalus built the structure for King Minos to trap the monster, the Minotaur. It was said that even Daedalus could not have found his way out after he built it. Many were sent into the depths of the labyrinth to be eaten by the monster, half bull, half human, until the hero Theseus slays him. It's clear that, for many of us, something about being lost in a maze can be an exciting type of scary. Otherwise, why would we keep building them? But for some, it leaves the realm of exciting and enters the world of terrifying. When the fear of getting lost becomes overwhelming, it's referred to as mesophobia. Just like a fear of heights or spiders... Mesophobia can short-circuit the human brain, and lead to a fight, flight, or freeze response. Our nervous systems can become flooded in unfamiliar surroundings. The brain kicks into survival mode, and sometimes we can make rash decisions. As many adults will probably tell you, the best thing to do when you're lost is to stay where you are and ask for help if there are people passing by. If you are alone in nature stay put. You are statistically more likely to be found, because moving could mean that you are just missing people who are looking for you. But so often, humans don't do that. Kenneth Hill, a psychologist at St. Mary's University in Halifax, Canada, who studies how lost people behave, lives in Nova Scotia. The land is 80% forest, and is known as the lost person capital of North America. In studying 800-plus search and rescue reports, he found only two examples in which the lost person had stayed put. He found that most lost people were stationary when they were found only because they were too tired to move anymore. This compulsion to move when we are lost, to keep going, is our flight response. In prehistoric times, sitting around a place you didn't know would make you vulnerable to being eaten by predators. So our brains tell us to keep going, even though logically we should stay still. Research have also found that without any recognizable spatial cues, we tend to walk in circles and spirals. Our brains are incapable of leading us in a straight line when we have no landmarks to anchor us. When we can find a landmark, or at least convince ourselves to remain in one place, it becomes much more likely that we will be found. After all, in many places, even wilderness, there's only so much ground to cover. But that leads us to places far more eerie than the woods, or any wilderness, really. Places in virtual space. The known world, or physical planes of existence, have their limits, but in digital space, well, it really is possible to get lost forever. And this is what brings us to the back rooms when we return.
2: The way I describe the back rooms is there are many different levels, but one of the, like, most popular ones, like Blythe said, is where it's a giant kind of office empty store with the walls are yellow, there's carpet, it's empty, there's yellow fluorescent lights, and you're being chased by this giant, like, stick figure, and you have to get out as fast as possible without, I guess, being killed. I really don't know, but I know that there's multiple levels, and we don't know what all of them look like.
0: But I've heard, like, especially on TikTok in the past, like, two years, people saying, oh, I went to the back rooms, like, I went behind, like, a Spirit Halloween or, like, a temporary store, and I went into the back rooms, and I was there for three hours when, in reality, it was only 30 minutes. So basically just like a dream. I think the back rooms are so popular because since there are, like, real pictures of places that people say are the back rooms um just i think that it scares people because it's it could be a real thing but um not with monsters or anything but just big open rooms that especially like if i walk into a room with no furniture it kind of does scare me because like there's just nothing there and it seems like there could be no escape
1: on may 12th 2019 an image was discovered in a thread. This image, which would quickly become a sensation, was posted by an anonymous user and supposedly featured an abandoned level of their office building. The image was discovered in a liminal spaces thread, a popular aesthetic in certain corners of the internet. Liminal spaces are in-between spaces that carry with them potential, often for adventure, but also peril and scares. Liminal comes from the Latin word limin, which means threshold. You could be in a liminal space when you're in a transition in your life. But you can also be in a liminal space physically, when you're in a place that can be defined only in that it's not quite one way or another, but perpetually on the way somewhere. The photo depicts a section of what seems to be an office building, a dense and dirty beige carpet stretches across the floor under rectangular fluorescent lights and a low off-white foam-paneled ceiling. The yellow walls have a bland geometric repeating pattern. From the vantage point of the picture, the room appears slightly tilted, but you can't tell if it's off or you are. But the idea didn't start becoming a whole world until the following text was posted under the photo. If you're not careful and you no-clip out of reality in the wrong areas, you'll end up in the back rooms, where it's nothing but the stink of old moist carpet, the madness of mono-yellow, the endless background noise of fluorescent lights at maximum humbuzz, and approximately 600 million square miles of randomly segmented, empty rooms to be trapped in. God save you if you hear something wandering around nearby. Because it, sure as hell, has heard you. No-clipping is a video game term, basically a cheat code that would allow you to pass through solid objects. The idea is that if we, in physical space, could access enough power... We could no-clip into this office building. But then, once we were there, how would we get out without something getting us first? And what exactly would that something be? Just like with physical labyrinths or mazes, made out of hedges or mirrors, one of the most intriguing aspects of the back room that seems to draw people's imaginations to it is that tingling feeling of being unsettled. Being in a place that is creepily familiar, but also eerily unknown. Unlike with a physical maze, though, this space can quite literally be infinite. Across the internet, people came up with all kinds of aspects of the world of the backrooms, from creatures on various levels to circumstances and events. The backrooms have become an endless and sometimes terrifying puzzle. One thread describes a creature that a human stuck in the backrooms for long enough can become, called a wretch. Wretches may still possess items that the person came into the backrooms with, now worn or broken. Their time surviving the labyrinth produces Ghastly combinations of misplaced eyes, disjointed limbs, and sometimes skeletal wing growths. The idea that someone could be lost for so long in a different world that they literally mutate, this drives a lot of the stories around the backrooms. Like with any game or alternate reality, the backrooms are the most fun when you buy into them completely when you suspend your disbelief and really follow the threads of the world-building around you. After all, if our reality is partially created by our minds, understanding space around us, who's to say that we can't make whole worlds built by our minds alone? Of course, there are ways this world-building can be taken too far. Like when things written online become motivation for people to harm each other in real life that's when we know we need a reality check. But for the most part, the Backrooms has flourished in all its creepy glory as a space where creators collaboratively make the world more complex and more detailed all the time, unfolding new ways of engaging and relating to it as it develops. There is something wonderful and frightening all at the same time about creating an endless unknown. We talk a lot on Unspookable about how human brains are wired to fear the unknown, to try to create certainty. But that's why digital and virtual spaces like this, that are co-created to test our limits, provide so many thrills. We are both making and discovering them at the same time. Even when we find the end of a physical maze in this reality, we can always create the next level of the back rooms in that reality. We can forever renew our terror at the unknown. So, what do you think you would find wandering the back rooms? The beauty of this world is you could find something perfectly cute and innocent. You could come around the corner and see, in the flickering yellow light, a little kitten looking just as lost as you are. At least, it looks like a kitten. If you can just get a little closer and find out. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit, produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. Special thanks this week to Blythe and Bella. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com.
2: For over six years, The Past and the Curious has been winning fans, sharing stories of real people from the past, and making people smile.
1: I'm Mick Sullivan, author of I See Lincoln's Underpants, which is a book about, well, famous people's underwear. You'll find all of those stories and much, much more in the 100 plus episodes of The Past and the Curious that are currently available. Find it in all the usual podcast places. The Past and the Curious with Mick Sullivan. That's me.